What's more refreshing than spring rain? What's more entertaining than watching clouds move? Or more fun than a big box of isobars? Look no further. Welcome to the Weather Jazz Podcast. Here's Andre. Andre. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything. Weather, science, earth science, astronomy. We'll be visiting the sun today, as if you already didn't know that. And of course, from time to time, some really crazy off-topic episodes that for no other reason I find interesting. But as I always like to tell folks, as long as I can make them sound interesting to you... Then it's fair game. Let's play ball. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Berninger, and I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode 346 for Wednesday, June 13, 2022. And it is Science Wednesday, and yes, we have our last installation on our very favorite star. It better be the sun because it's the sun that causes life to proliferate here on planet Earth. Speaking of planet Earth, we've yet to visit planet Earth in Weather Jazz. I believe we'll do that beginning next Wednesday or the Wednesday thereafter. And we'll probably spend maybe three Wednesdays on planet Earth. And then we will move to our favorite moon, the moon, the one that is full in the nighttime sky right now. For those of you that had clear skies last night, wasn't the moon outstanding? Not only that, but last night when we were observing the full moon and looking at the International Space Station make a pass directly overhead, it was probably and arguably going to be the best summer pass of 2022 because if you simply lay down on the ground, the International Space Station would pass right by your eyes because you were looking straight up and the ISS went smack dab right on top of us here in Northeast Ohio at 1045 last night. It was a beautiful pass. In addition to that, the fireflies were going crazy last night. It was really interesting to see. Full moon, International Space Station, fireflies. What more could you ask for? It was quite the show last night. Hopefully, you had a taste of that as well. And for those of you wondering, I have been giving some thought to what a continuation of Season 2 would look like or... A switch to season three? I think I have an idea which will benefit absolutely everybody. Both you, the listener, the Weather Jazz listener, the new audience, which I have yet to capture, and myself as well. It's a win-win-win all the way around. Of course, more details. As I begin to explore the idea, develop the idea, but I don't want to spill the beans just quite yet. 
that is coming. Okay, when we come back, we will explore the sun. In particular, sunspots. So what significance do sunspots have with anything on Earth other than being able to observe them? Well, that answer goes pretty deep, and we will explore all of those aspects of sunspots on our favorite star, the sun, coming up. Welcome back, everybody. It is summertime, and the sun is certainly making our world nice and toasty, bringing lots of light. It's very high up in our sky in the northern hemisphere, obviously, because that is what causes our summertime temperature pattern. Now, we've been studying an awful lot about our sun here in the last three weeks or so. Today, we're going to wrap things up with a look at something that was observed on the sun quite some time ago and really very little understood until we got into the last century or two. And we're talking about sunspots. Now, people today still talk about sunspots as being storms on the sun. But is it really? Because calling sunspots storms on the sun would be somewhat simplistic in just exactly what these things are. So let's dig in. Sunspots are phenomena on the sun's photosphere, which is the disk that we can see, that appear as temporary spots that are darker than the surrounding areas. But that still doesn't get to the bottom line. What are they? Well, they are regions of reduced surface temperature caused by concentrations of magnetic flux that actually inhibit or suppress convection. Now, these sunspots appear within active regions, usually in pairs, and it was found that the pairs have opposite magnetic polarity. Now, here's a question. Do we see sunspots all the time on the sun? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that they have been observed over the course of many centuries, But no, in the sense that there are some periods of time during the solar minimum where we don't see any sunspots at all. That cycle, the cycle that goes up and down, is an 11-year cycle. A couple of years ago, we hit a solar minimum. In fact, it was such a deep minimum that there was concern that this might, in fact, look very similar to a minimum that occurred during the Little Ice Age, known as the Maunder Minimum. And it was also thought that the upcoming solar maximum would not have as many sunspots as this go-around. But that was not the case when the sun woke up from its very deep minimum in this most recent cycle. The number of sunspots really ramped up quite rapidly, and this did surprise many astronomers. Now, we're still a few years away from the next solar maximum. It'll still be interesting to track that number as we head closer and closer to the maximum. Let's talk about individual sunspots or groups of sunspots. These may last anywhere from just a few days to actually several months. But eventually, every single sunspot group will decay with time. 
What about sunspot size? Are they uniform? And the answer is really no. They do vary in size, but they generally have an accepted range. They can be as small as 16 kilometers wide or about 10 miles to 160,000 kilometers wide or about 100,000 miles wide. The larger sunspots can be visible from Earth without the aid of a telescope as long as you have proper filtering because the sun's light is far too strong to observe with the naked eye. It just can't be done, nor should it ever be attempted. Don't ever try to look at the sun without proper filtration. But that is another topic for another time. One of the things that point sunspots to the intense magnetic activity is the fact that these sunspots are accompanied by some really interesting things. Phenomena such as coronal loops, prominences, and reconnection events. And the observation of those things came much, much later after we discovered that the sun had spots on it. Now, the observation of these sunspots actually were recorded a long time ago in terms of human history, at least in terms of recorded human history. You see, back in the Chinese dynasty around 800 BC, there were some observations recorded that the sun had spots. And just before Christ's birth in 28 BC, Chinese astronomers were beginning to regularly record sunspot observation in official imperial books. As often as they were described in books, they were never truly drawn. The first drawings of sunspots were actually made by an English monk by the name of John Worcester. That was in December of 1128 certainly well after, in fact, a millennia after the first observations were written in book form. So that was the first drawing of sunspots as observed in a time when, and certainly the observations were doable through filters, obviously, to the naked eye. It was at a point in the solar cycle that there were quite a few sunspots. However, it wasn't until 1610 that the first person decided to look through a telescope, obviously using caution and filters to observe sunspots. That was by English astronomer Thomas Harriot. Now, for the longest time, sunspots certainly were an interesting and intriguing curiosity, but never before was there a connection made to any events here on Earth until we got to the early 19th century, a gentleman by the name of William Herschel was the first to equate sunspot cycles and the number of sunspots with heating and cooling on the Earth. They didn't know exactly what the process was, but they knew somehow there might be a connection between the number of sunspots and climatologically what is happening globally on the Earth. Now, because the sunspot number was carefully registered from the 1600 period on forward, it is easy to see the correlation between what is known as the Maunder Minimum and the Little Ice Age. Remember that that's when Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, and during that era, the Thames, which is a river that flows through the London area, regularly froze over in the wintertime. 
And it was very much common to see snow during the winter months. And so when Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, it is set, obviously, right around Christmas time in London. And there was snow on the roads and there was plenty of ice on the Thames. Well, that really isn't the case right now. And you will notice on the graph that I put on episode number 346, weatherjazz.com, you'll see the Maunder Minimum and all of the little red dots between 1,600 and just beyond 1,700. And then we start ramping up with the number of sunspots that we see, which, by the way, peaked most recently between 1900 and 1958. It's a period known as the solar maxima trend, which was upward up until about 1958, which brings me to the most recent minimum, which mimicked that of one of the earlier years of the Maunder minimum. That's what scientists were looking at. We thought maybe, just maybe, this might be pointing to another long-term cooling period for the Earth here in the next few centuries. We'll have to wait to see again just exactly what the maximum looks like in a few years. So aside from warming things in the summertime and keeping the earth in a temperate climate, so to speak, there are nuances. The sunspots, which may have a bigger impact on our climate than once earlier thought. It's a solar handshake with the earth's climate that we're still just scratching the surface on. This is going to be a real interesting period in our history as we continue to observe, learn more about the very objects in our own solar system and in some cases, how that impacts life on Earth. Now, there's so much information about the sun that we could virtually spend the rest of the Wednesdays in 2022 talking about it. But this is where I'm going to essentially put down the pen. As a producer friend of mine liked to say, know where to put the pen down after you have told a good story. And we certainly hope we've done that and given you a new perspective on our favorite star, the sun. Now, if you know somebody who's interested in the sun or the solar system or astronomy in general, make sure that you point them to Weather Jazz. In particular, all of our Wednesday episodes that we began with Mercury, that was probably, to the best of my recollection, I think it was in March or early April at the very latest, started with Mercury, moved out, but by design, I left the sun, the earth, and our moon for last because it would probably take a number of episodes to explore them to a degree that would really be interesting and not only make a lot of sense, but hopefully somewhere along the line, you have said during this entire series, I did not know that. And that would be very, very cool. Well, I'm always waiting to hear from you. If you have a question, a topic suggestion, or you would just like to drop me a line saying hello and perhaps telling me how it is you listen to weather jazz, whether it's on a jog or whether it's in your car on your way to work or running errands or maybe at home on your browser, wherever it is. I am curious, how is it that you listen to weather jazz? Let me know, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. You can also call me and leave me a voicemail on the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. The number 
is 234-525-5888. And if that's too fast for you or you are listening remotely, whenever you get a chance, just go to weatherjazz.com and click on the contacts tab at the very top. All of that information will be right at your fingertips. Open Line Friday coming around, and we've got one more song that Shazam was not able to recognize, and perhaps an interesting side story about that one, and perhaps in the same way that we found last Friday's song interesting and not recognizable by Shazam, which is really unusual. And Lord willing, we'll pick up on Alex Price's chapter two of the book that we started with last week. Now, I brought the book to my church office at New Promise Church in Kirtland. I'm going to have to go retrieve it, forgetting that uh, I would be reading from it this week. So I'm going to run up to the church office, make sure I get that for Friday's edition of Open Line Friday. I brought it to the church office because... Alex said he might come and pay me a visit on a Sunday. And by the way, I'm currently in a series called Red Letter Series or Red Letter Questions on questions that Jesus asked in the Bible. And of course, Jesus did not ask questions to ascertain information. Rather, he always asked questions that would make us think and boy. There are a lot of questions dependent on the translation. You can have anywhere from just over 300 to almost 400 questions that he asked. So we picked a few of the more interesting ones and started breaking it down. And we will be finishing things up with number eight on this Sunday, July the 17th. If you are around in the Kirtland area, Kirtland, Ohio, please pay us a visit. The service time is at 10 a.m., and I would love to shake your hand. So uh, perhaps I'll have a chance at some point to meet Alex, because, uh, and that's why it's at the church office. Uh, I saw him there once. We didn't have a chance to actually chat. Hope to do that sometime, and I hope that he will autograph my book. That's why it's at the church office. I'll have to retrieve it for Friday's edition of Weather Jazz. All right, everybody, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you on Open Line Friday. We'll see you then. Weather and science across the globe.